The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and uh, there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from yesterday afternoon. So if you missed that, and you'd like to catch that, you can do so up until 3 o'clock Eastern this afternoon, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. On the right side of the page is where we are. Click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you got, look for the Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner, and then join us in the chat on Rumble. we got a lot of friends over there this morning. Good to see you guys. Thank you for joining us. And, um, yeah, just join right in in the chat. Love to have you over there. Agree, disagree, that's not a... That's not a big deal, but uh, let's keep our di disagreements civilized if we if we have them. OK, <laughs> let's just do that. Let's treat one another with respect. All right. On on whatever side you fall on. Let's do that. Um, we are also streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Please subscribe over there. And then also on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page there. And we appreciate those guys giving us a, a spot over on their website as well. Right up under where we're streaming live on sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can sign up for our email newsletter. That's all the articles we do every day coming to your inbox, uh, including the morning show archive. Now, I apologize last night if you were looking for it in your email. I didn't quite get it out, so it'll be out this morning. You'll get two morning shows today in today's email. Lord willing, you're going to get those. All right. And then if you want our ministry email, you want to know what the Sons of Liberty are actually doing each week. Go to Sons of Liberty Radio Live, sign up for that on the front page. That goes out once a week on Saturday, if you're interested in doing that. Then finally, if you would like to keep us out there doing what we're doing, there is a donate button at the top of SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You can click on that, make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of Liberty. And guys, we really do appreciate your support, not only you know financially, but many of you pray. Some of you send encouraging notes, messages, and things of that nature. Um... And, uh, and and then you're in return producing that fruit too, um, you know, that we talk about. That's going to be part of what we talk about today. I, 
it's a it's an interesting thing when you say, Lord, give me give me a word for your people. Um, some people don't uh, understand what it is when you have sensed the call of God on your life, and then you have other men who come alongside you and confirm that. And um, <clears throat> when Bradley tells people, hey, I didn't apply for the job. This is what I look for. Uh, I didn't do it either. And, um, you know, it, it, as, you know as, as Scripture shows us, God comes and finds us. We're not out there really looking for him. He, he's the one who's looking for us. He's the one who's seeking us out and saving us. So if you remember the little story um, that, that Jesus tells about the shepherd who has, you know, 100 sheep and he gets 99 in the fold and one of them's missing and the shepherd goes out among the wolves and the dark and everything else and he goes and he gets that sheep that was lost, throws it on his back and carries it back to the fold. That is a picture. It, it's, well... It's a picture of what Christ does for us, although not in the fullest extent. The fullest extent would be the sheep went out and got attacked and killed by ravenous wolves, and the shepherd somehow comes and gives life to that sheep, picks it up and puts it in the fold. That's more of the biblical picture of what actually happens. But for what Jesus is showing, he's showing that he's a good shepherd. He's the good shepherd, and he loves his flock. He'll even lay down his life for his sheep, which he did at the cross. So when today, when we're looking at the title that uh, I have for the show, Is America's Wound Incurable? This brings up several passages for me that I'm going to read for you out of Jeremiah, uh, because Jeremiah was, you know, he was a guy that was not liked. It would be like uh, somebody, well, it's, it's like Bradley and I went daily when we come in and we talk about the problems that we're facing is because we've departed from God. We've departed from His law. We've departed from His justice. And what we've decided to do is try to do things on our own. And we want to do them in the flesh. Now, I know there are people out there who say they pray. It, but it, if they're praying to the extent that they say they are, and they're praying the will of God, then why aren't we seeing this drastic move of God turning everything back? Now, to a certain extent, there are eyes being opened, and in the midst of the darkness, the light shines brightest. So I have no doubt that God is working in the lives of a lot of people, okay? But when we take a look at what we've been through, when we take a look at over the past, oh, I don't know, 400 years in this country, we see a gradual departing from the God of the Bible and from his law and from his gospel. That's what we see going on. We've seen it over the past four or five hundred years in this country. And so the question then becomes, well, if, if things continue to get worse, what's the problem? Is the problem with God or is the problem with man? Now, I think everybody should be able to say the problem is with us. We haven't been listening and we haven't been obeying what our Creator told us to do. Of course, you always have those who are opposed to that and say, no, if God was loving, he wouldn't blah, 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 and they lay out their stuff. Failing to understand the wickedness of their own heart and the wickedness of their fellow man. By the way, 
when I say some of this, keep in mind uh, passages, and I didn't even bring this one up, but uh, passages that are like uh, uh, Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to bring this up real quick because I, I didn't pull this up. I pulled up a lot of scriptures this morning. Uh, so you might, uh, if uh, I think uh, Brian is in there, you might want to get your straw for your coffee pot this morning. <laughs> um, but, you know, Romans chapter 3 is pretty interesting. Let's just start there. Um, and I want to start here with... Um, Let's see. Verse 7. And well, let's just start. Let's just get the context. So Paul is laying out his argument about God's judgment um, that he's laid out because men will not honor him as God. That was Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 2, he starts laying out there's no difference between those who call themselves Jews and are circumcised and those who are not. They're all condemned under the law. Okay. And then he talks about. Um, here he begins with the Jew at the time, and I'm talking about I'm not about real Jews. I'm not talking about well. Let me change that because <laughs> he makes a distinction between those who say they are Jews and are not. Okay, but those who would be um, who would be claiming to be Abraham's children, much like the Pharisees, uh, those who were his countrymen that he referred to Israelites. Okay, and he says, "What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision?" much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So for who were the people of God? Were they not the Jews? Were they not the Israelites? I'm not talking about modern day. I'm talking about back then. Were they not the people of God? Yes. Were they not given the oracles of God, the words of God, the law of God, the testimonies of God, and the instruction of how man is to live? Yes, they were. They were entrusted with that. So their only advantage is they have the word of God. Okay? And then he says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. You know, again, this comes down to an issue of you see people in the Old Testament covenant. They've received the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. And yet many of them were not believers. They did not get faith. They did not get repentance. But they were still part of that covenant community of Israelites. Okay? And in so doing, many of them were unbelievers. They were judged uh, not only in AD 70, but we can, we'll take a look at some of the, the precursors to that in Jeremiah where they were judged by Babylon. Okay? And he's saying, well, because somebody didn't believe in the covenant community, does that make the faith of God without effect? And he says, no, that's not what goes on at all. In fact, he says, yea, let God be true, every man a liar. Amen. That's exactly right. God will be true, even though Tim Brown might be a liar. Or you might be and think you know better than God. Nope, God is the one who tells the truth. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our righteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? And he's speaking here as a man. 
God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Well, if God can take the word and he can use it through a wicked heart or a wicked mouth, why is he condemning me? Well, this, is what he's, this is what he's leading up to, and this is what was on my mind, and we'll get to that in just a couple of verses. Because he's, he's building on this. You know, if I'm, if I'm doing some things that I'm supposed to do, why is God condemning me? You know, I'm not murdering, I'm not committing adultery, I'm not stealing, I'm not, I, I don't think I'm covetous. Maybe that's somebody, somebody's mindset. I don't think I'm an idolater. I don't think I've taken the Lord's name in vain. I don't think that I've broken the Sabbath day. I don't think that uh, I've put other gods. That's the mindset of some people. And he says this, and not rather, as we but slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Whose damnation is just? I mean, these are people looking for a reason to indulge their sinful lusts. And they think that good's going to come out of it. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, and that's in chapter 2, that all are under sin. So if you want to hear that argument from Paul, see, he's, he's laying layer upon layer here in, um, uh, in, in Romans. His argument for why Christ is necessary, for why God has to be the one who saves men, not men saving themselves or working synergistically. I don't want to use a big word here, uh, but that means you're working in tandem with God to save yourself. That's what Rome teaches. The Bible teaches that God comes among the cemetery of dead sinners across the world and he calls them by name from the grave, just like he did Lazarus. Okay. And so he's making the argument here that all are condemned under sin. And what does sin do? Well, sin brings death, and so does the just punishment. In the physical, it brings death. The soul that sinneth shall surely die, the scripture says. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have both proved Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. And it is written, and here's the part here. I want you to listen to what he says. It is written, he refers back into the Old Testament. There is none righteous, no, not one. That means you listening to me, too. Oh, by the way, in case you think that I'm above that, it means me, too. He says there's none righteous, no, not one. That includes this guy talking to you. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Hmm. You ever heard of seeker-friendly churches? There's no such thing. You either are alive to God or you're dead in your trespasses and sins. I mean, that's the way the scripture lays this out. They are all gone out of the way. They've departed from the straight and narrow. They've gone to the right or the left, as we talk about. And boy, is that, is that not a picture of where we are here in the United States? The right or the left? The right or the left of what? I want people to start asking people the question when they start using those right and left, right, you know, right wing extremist and, you know, left wing liberal and all this stuff. Ask them, what are you left of? What are you right of? And then you come back and you tell them you're right or left of the law. That's what you are. Quit playing those games with the words. 
the, the further I go along, the further I see need of repentance of this guy right here, the guy talking to you, of even how I speak about those things, that we have to push that away from our mouths to speak those things and to fall into the narrative that we've been given and speak the truth about it. All right, let's go back to the passage here. This is going to get real ugly because this paints a picture of what man really is. Despite his best attempts to dress himself up, to put lipstick on the pig, so to speak, um, despite all those attempts, the Bible is clear about what man is in his heart. None that seek after God. They are all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Now, if you if you don't understand what that is, he, he starts talking about what's coming out of them. Now, Jesus says, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this is a breakdown, basically, of what Jesus is saying. Okay? What happens when you have an open sepulcher? This, this would be the grave. This would be a grave in, in those days. What happens? Does it stink in there despite the, the spices and everything they put on the... Yeah, it's got this stench to it. It's rotting flesh. Their throat is like that. With their tongues, they have used deceit. So he goes from the throat to the tongue. And he says, their throat's this stench. It's, it's, it's deadness that comes out of them. And then he says, with their tongues, they've used deceit. So out of their deadness and sin, what do they talk about? They use their tongues to deceive others. And to deceive themselves, by the way, too. And the poison of asps is under their lips. So he goes from the throat to the tongue to the lips, and he says, whatever's coming out of man is dead, it is deceitful, it is poisonous, it is wicked. It brings death. It doesn't bring life. And then he says, he takes the whole thing, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Oh my goodness, do I see a lot of people doing it. Now look, You've heard me say, if people try to come do this, that, and the other, I speak in a defensive manner. And God helped me to do that, to be courageous and bold. I don't presume upon myself. Because if I know me and myself, I know that I would be cowardly. Just telling you. The great thing about courageous men is though they are scared, they face that fear and they go ahead and do their duty anyway. And I pray daily that if I'm ever put in those positions, Lord, give me grace, give me strength. You be my strength to overcome my flesh and my fearfulness and my, even if I have cowardice, overcome those things. Because I know me. And you probably know you too. He continues on and he says, Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. 
And he says this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, let me paint the picture here, and then we're going to go back into the Old Testament. I, I got off track there a little bit, but I'm going to uh, uh, assume that the Spirit of God leads us in the things that we do. And uh, this sets us up, because in America, what have we been told? Rugged individualism. We're you know the greatest country on the earth. And, and this is nothing new. Listen, country, other countries and other people were told that too. If you want to see a good example of that, you can go to Nazi Germany. We can talk about that, and they're trying to have the perfect Aryan race and all this stuff. You can also watch a film, and I've made mention of this before. You could read the book, To End All Wars. To End All Wars. I think it was around 2000, something like that. This was put out. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland and David Carlyle starred in it. It was based on a true World War I um, story. I, and I got to tell you, our friend Brian Godawa, we had him on the radio in the afternoon for a segment. May try to get him on uh, the morning show if we can. We'll have to probably pre-record it because he's out on the West Coast. But uh, Brian wrote the screenwrite for this. And you're talking about building up. I can't. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. Um, but you can't. I can't think of a of a film that I've ever seen. And this was not a quote unquote religious film, but it conveyed the message of the gospel very openly, very plainly in what it brings about and what it does. And again, this is a real story based on, or is based on a real story from World War I. And you'll see in that the work of God in men's life. And you'll see what that, what that looks like in the midst of the enemy's camp. And the enemy in that time was Japan. Um, the, the prisoners were kept there. And what you see there displayed was, one, they had statism. All of the Japanese were doing what they were doing for the glory of, not God, but for the glory of the emperor. And they thought they were superior to the white man, to the black man, to the English, to the Scottish, to the American, whoever around. They thought they were superior to that. They were told the same lies. Now, there's one thing to say that the people are blessed. And there's another to start thinking that you are superior to your fellow man. There's two, you understand what I'm saying? This is what's depicted. And as a result of them being taught that kind of stuff, the brutality in that movie against those who were not Japanese and even those who were wounded Japanese is, was incredible. And it's a great contrast to the grace of Christ that comes in the midst of this war prison that these guys are kept in in the jungle. I highly recommend it. Don't watch it with your kids because there is a lot of language and there's a lot of violence, but I think it's warranted if you want to see the reality, not sanitized, you know, tales, but you want to see the reality of how bad man can be. And this doesn't even really scratch the surface, but you get a good idea of it. Watch that film. So, Let's go back into the Old Testament. And I want to kind of pick up with Jeremiah. Now, we're going to read several passages out of Jeremiah, so just be patient with me. I know that people are hungry for the Word. I get that. Um, and I know sometimes I'm on different things, and we don't get a chance to do this. But I, this is necessary that we go through this, and we see, because why is the Old Testament given? Why do we have these things about Israel? 
Well, Paul tells us in the New Testament, he says, therefore, there is an example for us not to do what they did. Not to do what they did. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 15. And I think, Mr. Wordsworth, <laughs> you've already jumped into some of my, uh, my passages here, and that's okay. I appreciate the uh, additional support from brothers and sisters who come into, uh, into the chat and drop uh, scriptures because I think it's very important. So if you're wondering what this wound is, I'm going to tell you, it's very simple. It's our departing from God. It's our sin. It's our thumbing our nose at God. It's our saying, we think we can do it better than you. Oh, we'll give you lip service, Lord. But we're going to go continue. Once we leave the church building or whatever, we're just going to go continue to do whatever we're going to do. Okay? So, Jeremiah chapter 15. And uh, let's just, we'll just start reading because I think it's self-explanatory when you understand that Jeremiah is a prophet who is warning the people of Israel, his people. He's saying, you've done this, judgment's coming. You've done this, judgment's coming. God is not going to be mocked. He is not a liar. He always tells the truth. And here's what's going to come if you don't repent. Then said the Lord unto me, this is Jeremiah chapter 15, if you're following along by the radio, uh, verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be towards this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. So we know that Moses took and he threw himself down in front of the Lord when the Lord wanted to destroy Israel. And he says, oh Lord, remember your promises. It's not that God forgot them. But that Moses threw himself in front as an intercessor for them. This see, Moses becomes this picture of Christ in that respect. One, he delivers the law, so he presents himself as the lawgiver, even though God is the one who gives the law. He then comes as an intercessor, a priest, if you will, for the people. He throws himself in front of of, of God for the people to keep them from being destroyed. Samuel had a similar kind of incident in which, you know, he's wondering. Lord, the people are wanting a king. Don't, they're, they're against me, Samuel. They're not against you. Give them what they want. They're, they'll learn real quick. And he says, even if those guys came before me, wouldn't do any good. And it, can't, it shall come to pass. And remember, the people have been ignoring the Sabbath weekly and yearly. They haven't been letting the land sit. They're supposed to do that every seven years. By the way, this is a this is a good application. Let me just drop this in here just a minute. You're hearing that topsoil is disappearing. And now watch the video. It was like a 10-minute video explaining how uh, nutrients come into the soil. And man can eat the dirt, but he's not really getting the, the nutrients out of it. What has to happen? Those nutrients have to go into plants, and either man has to eat the plants, or he has to eat animals that eat plants that come out of the ground that get those nutrients. So it's very, it's very interesting how that works. Um, so when when he's talking about these things, uh, he remember this judgment is upon them because they didn't let the land rest, and they're pulling the nutrients out of the earth. And it's not being able to, to come back and revive. They're disobeying God. God has their best interests at heart. Because remember what he said when he established the covenant. I set before you life today. Life and death. Choose life. And they chose death. They chose to deplete what God had given them in the land. And they were indulging themselves in all these things. So 
Go back to the passage, verse 2, And it shall come to pass, if they say unto thee, Whither shall we go forth? Then thou shalt tell them, Thus saith the Lord, Such as are for death to death, and such as are for the sword to the sword, and such as are for the famine to the famine, and such as are for the captivity to the captivity. So he's laying out to them <coughs> their judgment. And I will appoint over them four kinds, said the Lord. I mean, this sounds like Leviticus 26. The sword to slay, the dogs to tear, the fowls of the heaven, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will cause them to be removed into all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. For who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask how thou doest? Thou hast forsaken me saith the Lord, thou art gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. Now, the Bible tells us that God is not like a man that he should repent. Okay? So he's not using it in the term of somehow he was wrong about something and he has to get his mind straight and turn around. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. He's tired of dealing with them, their vacillation, their lukewarmness, and we're going to get to this in just a little bit. They're saying that they're gods, claiming that they're his, that they're part of his covenant, and then acting like they're the devils. Okay? That's what they're doing. They're being hypocrites. They're sitting on the fence of things. They won't pick a side. And so he goes on, and he says, And I will fan them with a fan in the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they return not from their ways. Their widows are increased to me above the sand of the seas. I have brought upon them against the mother of the young men a spoiler at noonday. I have caused him to fall upon it suddenly and terrors upon the city. She that hath borne seven languisheth. She hath given up the ghost. Her son is gone down while it was yet day. She hath uh, been ashamed and confounded. And the residue of them will I deliver to the sword before their enemies, saith the Lord. Woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me, a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent on usury, nor, and, and boy, have we talked about that? <laughs> I'm not lent money for the sake of interest, nor men have lent to me on usury, yet every one of them doth curse me. The Lord saith, uh, verily it shall be, well with thy remnant. Verily, I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in time of evil and time of affliction. Shall iron break the northern iron and steel? The substance and thy treasures will I give to the spoil without price and for, for all thy sins, even in all thy borders? And I will make thee to pass with thine enemies into a land which thou knowest not, for a fire is kindled in mine anger. This is not going to be a vacation. This is not going to be a retreat. This is going to be bondage. Exactly what he promised in Deuteronomy 28. Go and read it. He said he would bring enemies from a foreign, with a foreign tongue from a foreign land against his people if they didn't obey him. And I want to tell you what. This is, this is hundreds of years after the covenants made there at Sinai. God was patient. Do you know why? Let me tell you why. Any of you guys ever seen the Ten Commandments movie, the, the Charlton Heston deal? Okay, and you go back and you read the passages of Scripture that that was based on. 
And what do you see when Moses comes down the mountain with the law? Of, he's been up there for 40 days, 40 nights. He comes down with the law of God. And what does he see the people doing? They're engaged in a big orgy. They've created a giant golden calf. They are worshiping it. They are engaged in all kinds of debauchery and the very violations of the law that God wrote with his finger on the stones that Moses was carrying. And what does Moses do? He's so angry that he takes those stones that God wrote with his finger, the law of God, and he casts them down and breaks them, symbolizing they've broken the law. <laughs> they didn't even get a chance to read what was on the stones. They've already broken it. And then even when he comes back in Deuteronomy and later on he takes blood and he sprinkles the book with it and he calls the people to, to do the, the covenant there with God and he sprinkles the people with the blood, what happens? They break it right off the bat. They break it right off the bat. And here was a people who were called out of Egypt, blessed of God like no other nation. So they do that. But what happens when Moses comes down, he breaks that? Well, there's a thing of saying, hey, you guys who want to follow this guy over here is leading you away from God. You get on his side. Those who want to follow the Lord, you're on his side. Come over here. And the earth swallows up the enemies of God. And then he takes the golden calf, grinds it up, spreads it across the sea, and if you know anything about what that would look like, it's kind of interesting. Gold in the water has this kind of red tint to it, the way the light hits it. And he causes them to drink it. Remember what we were talking about, about John 6? There's a picture there of drinking this red water that's got this gold that's made out, that was the calf was made out of. And he causes them to do that. So let's go back to, 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 um, to Jeremiah here. And I forgot where we left off, so let's just pick up at verse 15. O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Now, Jeremiah is a guy who's been prophesying. He's been weeping over the people. And the, 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 the rulers of that time had just had enough of him. They wanted to put him in a, in a, in a hole in the ground and just let him, his voice not be heard. They don't want to hear him. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. The words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. In the midst of all of the wickedness and all the things that's being done to him, he finds his joy in the Lord. It's kind of like what our catechism says. What is uh, the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We find our joy in the Lord and not necessarily in anything else, but we find it primarily in him. So he says, I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Now listen, therefore thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me, and if thou take forth the precious from the vile, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, 
but return not thou unto them. And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord, and I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. One of the great things here is in the midst of the the prophesying of Jeremiah of the judgment to come, there is always this pause, if you will, for mercy. You see this all through even the book of Revelation, where you see the trumpets of the bowls or the vials, you see those things poured out. And you'll see after each time the judgments come, there is a pause. There's a pause in heaven. It's so that God gives the people a, chance, a, a time to repent. The point of his judgment is, one, to show how just and holy he is, of course. But it's to call men to repentance. And again, if you remember Jesus, uh, the people came to him and says, well, you know, what about these people who were killed here? And Pilate mingled them with, their, with the blood and this, that, and the other, and the sacrifices. And he goes, well, if you don't repent... But you'll likewise perish. Oh, well, what about these people over here? This tower fell on them and these people were killed. Well, if you don't repent, you'll likewise perish. You're going to perish without Christ, without repentance. And so he's laying this out. Now let's hit a couple of other passages out of um, Jeremiah. Uh, th this one comes, I, don't, I, I laid some of these things out, so I'm... Forgive me if I'm off here just a little bit. This one comes from Jeremiah chapter 30. So we're going to jump ahead quite a bit here. And here's what we read there. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? These are my people, but I'm going to bring them into captivity. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And, they, and these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. And ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore, do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Almost, I mean, read, just reading this on the surface level, almost sounds like he's talking about America, doesn't it? <laughs> now, obviously, I think he's speaking metaphorically to the man that he's kind of become effeminate um, and such. But the fact that... And, and all the things that's going on around him. But it does kind of read like some of the, the bizarre stuff that we've, we've got going on today. He's just saying the people aren't doing what they're supposed to do, and the men aren't leading the way they're supposed to lead. So then he goes and he says this, For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off his neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. So he's given Jeremiah a ray of hope in the midst of this, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, 
Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Here's the catch. For thus saith the Lord, thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. And then he goes on and he says this, all thy lovers have forgotten thee. What's he talking about there? How, how, does, how, how does a nation have lovers? He's talking about their false gods. This is why he would call them adulterers and adulteresses. They had left their first love of Yahweh, and they had started to put their hope and trust in other gods. In fact, you see Ezekiel kind of lays out some of that uh, with their, their worship of, uh, with Ishtar, uh, what the people were doing in the temple, all the wickedness that was going on in the city, and he showed him all those things. Okay, All thy lovers have forgotten thee. They seek thee not, for I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity because thy sins were increased. I have done these things unto thee. Oh, now stop there just a second. Because the modern day preachers will not tell you that. They won't, they won't, they will tell you that God does all kinds of nice little good things for his people, but they won't. They don't want to tell you about how he chastises them, about how he brings judgment even in the covenant community. What does Peter say? He says, if judgment begins at the house of God, what's going to happen to the wicked? I mean, these are the people who are part of God's covenant. If he's going to judge them, and it's going to be a severe thing, and if you don't think God does that, go read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and see what he says to the churches. If you don't repent, I'm going to come fight you with the sword of my mouth. If you don't repent, I'm going to throw you on a bed full of adulteries. If you don't repent, I'm going to do this. I'll take your lampstand out of its place. I mean, he's not playing around. This is his church. It's the church that he bought with his own blood. And he's merciful to them, just like a loving husband is to his wife. But at the same time, he says, there's going to come a time where time's going to be up and I'm going to act if you don't straighten yourself out. So we see that in Jeremiah as well. So what's the remedy? <clears throat> I don't know if you can see some parallels to what goes on with Israel and what goes on in the United States. Oh, I think we have far surpassed the wickedness of Israel. Um. As John Calvin says, our hearts are little idol factories. And boy, in America, have we created idols. We have created a ton of idols. They come in all shapes and forms. Uh, they, all, they come in all kinds of beauty and ugliness. And uh, we've done that. But what's the remedy for it? If we have an incurable wound, even as he talks about here in Jeremiah, if you have an incurable wound, what are we to do about it? Does that not make us desperate? For some who, someone who could 
possibly cure the incurable wound? Yeah, should. That's what it should do. So look at what he lays out here in Jeremiah chapter 46, verse, uh, beginning in verse 8. Egypt riseth up like a flood, and his waters are moved like the rivers, and he saith, I will go up, and will cover the earth, I will destroy the city and the inhabitants thereof. Come up, ye horses, and rage, ye chariots, and let the mighty men come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans that handle the shield, and the, Lyd and the Lydians that handle and bend the bow. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries. And the sword shall devour, and it shall be satiate and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts hath a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. And so he says, Go up into Gilead, and take balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain shalt thou use many medicines, for thou shalt not be cured. That's not a very encouraging word there, is it? Go ahead and use all your medicines you want. Go do all the things that you think are going to heal you, but you're not going to be healed. For the nations have heard of thy shame, and thy cry hath filled the land. For the mighty man hath stumbled against the mighty, and they are fallen both together. The word that the Lord spake to Jeremiah the prophet, how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, should come and smite the land of Egypt. Declare ye in Egypt, and publish in Migdal, and publish in Nov, and in Topanez. Say ye, stand fast, and prepare thee, for the sword shall devour round about thee. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. They are in big trouble. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The biggest enemy that the United States has is not Islam. It's not communism. It's not the Zionists. It's not the Rothschilds. It's not even the Vatican. It's not even the, the, the wicked men in D.C. or in your state legislature or your county. That's not the biggest enemy that we face. The biggest enemy that the United States faces is God himself. How do you stop an enemy that you've made in your rebellion such as God. How, how do you stop him? You can't stop him with nukes. You can't stop him with guns. You can't stop him with tanks. You can't stop him with ships. There's nothing on this earth you can use to stop God in his judgment against you. You can't. And so you must appease him. And guess what? Our God doesn't seek a sacrifice. He's not pleased with blood of bulls and goats or even of, of other men. He is pleased with the Son of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says that he looked at him. And when Jesus said it was finished, it was paid in full, the debt that we owe to God for our violations of his law, God was pleased with that. How do I know that? Because he raised him from the dead. He didn't leave him in the ground to see corruption as the scripture says that he would do. He wasn't going to leave him in the ground to see corruption. You won't allow your Holy One to see corruption. And Peter goes on and preaches about that. And he says, he wasn't talking about David because we got David's tomb over here. David's corrupt. He's done turned to dust. But God showed his approval in what Jesus did by raising him from the dead. I love what Jonah has to say here. You guys know the story of Jonah, right? 
Jonah goes and he's called to preach to Nineveh. This is the only time, maybe somebody could correct me, but <clears throat> this is the only time that God sent one of his prophets outside the covenant community to a Gentile land in such a way as to preach repentance to them because he was going to judge them in 40 days. And what did Jonah do? Jonah said, I don't want to go down there with those, those old heathen Gentiles. I know you're a merciful God. I know you're full of compassion. And I don't want them to receive. I mean, that's, that's Jonah's attitude. Jonah was a complaining, you know, you see him, God gives him a little shelter from the sun, then he takes it away, and he's complaining about it. So God has to teach him a lesson, and that's where you get him swallowed by a fish. He's in the belly of the fish for three days, which becomes a picture, Jesus said. Uh, this generation that he talks to in the first century says, no sign's going to be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Son of man's going to be on the heart of the earth three days, three nights, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And then what happens when he spit out on dry land? Well, he walks into the city of Nineveh preaching judgment and repentance. And what happens? From the top to the bottom, from the bottom to the top, the people repent, and the king even repents in sackcloth and ashes. And God spares Nineveh 40 years. Why? Because they were repentant, because they heard the word of God. They didn't harden their hearts to it, but they submitted themselves to it. So this comes from Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. And it says, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him. This is after Jonah's preached to him. And covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh. Can you just hear the, um, the lawless ones in Nineveh? Oh, king, you know, let's not have this religious thing get in the way of our government. Let's remember their separation of church and state. That's not what happened. He led the people by his example, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. I mean, you're talking about hu humiliating themselves. This, this is what this is a sign of, their humbleness. And cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way. Go back to Roman, uh, uh, Romans chapter 3 that we read at the beginning. What evil way are you engaged in? You're called to turn away from it. And from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? And we're, again, we're not talking about repenting as a man. You've got to understand that. God doesn't sin, so he and he doesn't do anything wrong, so he does, has no need of changing his mind about things. He speaks to us, as Calvin would say, uh, in baby talk, so that we can understand him who is beyond our comprehension. And turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and did it not. You know, there's a lot of people who quote that passage out of Second Chronicles. But they failed to turn from their wicked ways. They failed to pursue the Lord in fasting and in prayer. But they'll quote that verse all the time. They just won't do it. And I've told you what I experienced at a Ted Cruz 
thing down there where people started quoting that and it was just as dead as it could be. The quoting of that passage, just dead. And I'll guarantee you more than half that room, if not the majority of that room, don't follow what they were quoting. They know it, they spit it out, but it's not in their heart to do. So, what's the solution? And we're going to run over here, but I'm going to at least get this part in before the end of the radio show. But we're going to run over a little bit. So if you want to catch the bulk of this, then go to sonsoflibertymedia.com, top of the page, before it's news.com, top of the page there. What is the solution for this? I love this. This is also from Jeremiah, but it's from the book of Lamentations. And you guys have heard me use this because I'll tell you what, this one, this way's these kinds of, of passages that, that tell us that we're really dependent upon the Lord to do for us what we cannot do. We cannot do it in and of ourselves. Can a leopard change his spots? Then you who do evil, you're left in the same thing. You can't, you can't change the way you are. You can't take out a heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in yourself. You can't do that. So in Lamentations chapter 5, here's what we're told. This is a taste of what's come after we close out the radio show and we continue on to the video platforms. Uh, Lamentations chapter 5, verse 18. Because of the mountain of Zion, which is desolate, the foxes walk upon it. Thou, O Lord, remainest forever. Thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time? Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Let me see if I can kind of throw a word in here that helps you understand. Repent us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall repent. Renew our days as of old, but thou hast utterly rejected us. Thou art very wroth against us. Why is that? Because the people won't repent. They continue on in their sin, their violations of God's law that he's given them, that he said, if you obey it, there's blessing. In fact, there's so many blessings, they'll overtake you. But they said, no, we'll continue on like this. And you know what? I see America calling on God to bless them, talking about Jesus, but still indulging in their sin. They are like the generation that thinks they're clean from their sin, but they remain in their filthiness. That is where we are today in America. And we've got all these spiritual leaders saying, oh, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be so okay that we can allow sodomites, drag queens, we can allow Satanists to come in and be a part of the worship. And I'm not saying we shouldn't preach to those people, but to be a part, to elevate that, that God condemns to that, no way. That's why we have an incurable wound apart from the work of the Lord. All right. I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. I heard the music, but I wanted to get that part out. Now, so what's the answer? Well, the answer is the Lord. Let me let me let me go back to Jonah here for just a second. And what do we see? We see the king heard the word that Jonah preached, and what did he do? He acted on it. Now, how did he act on it? Is he just saying, "Well, I, I figured this all out, so I'm gonna I'm gonna repent on my own here, and I'm gonna humble myself before the Lord"? No, that's not what's going on. Now, you're not told what goes on, but we are told in the New Testament what goes on. We're gonna see some of that. God worked in the heart of the king to grant him repentance. And the same with all of the people 
who humbled themselves here. He was working repentance in the people. They didn't just come up with it themselves. Okay? Um, so this is what's going on. He is granted repentance from the Lord, and that's exactly what Jeremiah is praying for in Lamentations. Turn us and we'll be turned. You ever had where God puts his finger on a particular area of your life that you need to repent of? Ever cried out to God that, that prayer right there? Lord, I see it. Turn me and I'll be turned. Grant me repentance. Give me what you demand of me. I'm in need of you. I'm in need of you working in me. That should be the, the our cry when we're in need, whether it is spiritual or financial or you know physical, whatever. The, we're crying out to the Lord because we're dependent upon Him. So let's go to the New Testament and let's take a look at some of these things. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and here's what we read, and this is, this is laying this on. He calls Timothy in verse 22, he says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. How do they get a pure heart? God has to give it to them, because they got a dirty, rotten, stinking, stony heart that doesn't want to submit themselves to God. And he has to give them a new heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Watch this. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now I've heard, you know, I hear guys who want to make man the center of the gospel, that everything is dependent upon man's decision. Now I call men to repentance. I call them to make a choice. But I know scripture says, apart from God empowering them to do what is commanded of them, they'll continue on in their sin. But these guys will pick the word peradventure and say, well, this, you know, it's kind of this hypothetical. No, 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 friends. When the word of God goes out, it goes out to accomplish that which, which God purposed it for going out to do. And that is either to harden people or to grant them repentance. And we're going to see that in just a minute, too. Okay? I'm not, I'm, look, you go back and you read the context of these passages. And you'll see exactly what I'm saying. Men have always been dependent upon God to repent. Just because, you know, if I tell a guy who went and, you know, he was warned, don't get on that motorcycle and ride down this trail and this, that, and the other, because it's very dangerous, you're liable to end up, you know, breaking something, becoming paralyzed or whatever, and he goes and, be, and is a fool and doesn't listen to that wise instruction, and he goes and does that, and he damages himself to where he can't walk anymore, and somebody comes along and says, get up and walk, whose fault is it that he can't walk? Well, it's his fault, isn't it? And such is the way of the sinner. The sinner digs his own grave, throws himself in it, shoots himself in the head, and is dead there, and yet God tells him, you're to get up and you're to repent. This is kind of the picture that's there. You read it in Ephesians chapter 2. 
Well, what's the man to do? He's rendered incapable by his own actions to do that, hasn't he? Hasn't he done it to himself? Yes, he has. He is in need of one who has the power of life to say, come forth from the grave. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't come to give you a little medicine because you're a little sick and you know you just need a little tweak here. No, no, no. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You stink. You are a stench in the, in the nostrils of God. You are rotting. And you're engaging in the flesh. And God must come along and he must raise you from the dead. He must give you life. Okay? With that said, let's go to... Uh, I think I might want to push that one back down just a little bit. Let me move that one. Across. And uh, let's go to Romans chapter 9. Now, we've looked at this quite a bit. This, again, gives us the remedy for what seems to be an incurable wound here in the United States. This is the only remedy. The rem and, and the reason I bring this up is because I've been accused of saying, oh, you're just looking for political answers. No. I believe in doing doing, you know, our faith without works is dead. But I don't believe there's a political solution to spiritual problem. Never has been. But here's Romans chapter 9. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, that I be cut off from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, the Israelites, and this is what he says, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. If you don't believe Jesus is God, Paul says it right there under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Pretty clear, right? Just as clear as John 1.1. 1, 1. He's God. There's no debate over that. That's who he is. The creator, the lawgiver, the savior, the one and only of all those. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are Israel. And we've been through this before. If, if you want to hear that, go you know, look up my stuff on Israel that I've talked about before. The true Israel of God are the people of God. It's not a geopolitical structure. It's the people of God, the people in the covenant. The Old Testament was pictured in a geopolitical setting, although they encompassed uh, Gentiles. They were everybody in Israel who were part of that covenant were not necessarily from the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They weren't. And in the New Testament, it expands out to the world. It's not some postage stamp piece of land. That little postage stamp piece of land is sort of God's down payment, his his promise, if you will of redeeming the whole earth as an inheritance to his son and to those who are in his son, the Lord Jesus. So, he says, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac thy seed shall be called. And he makes that distinction between Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael's not the child of promise, but Isaac was. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Just because somebody says they're a Jew doesn't make them a Jew. The Jew is one who is circumcised of the heart, not of the flesh. But the children of promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. 
And not only this, but he goes a step further. Paul in his argument says, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, check this out, because you'll hear people say, well, God looks down the corridors of time and he chooses you based on what you do or don't do. That's not what scripture says. Listen to what he says here in verse 11. For the children, who's the children? Esau and Jacob. You guys remember those guys? The children being not yet born, having done, neither having done any good or evil. So it wasn't this issue if he looked down and he saw what they would be, and so he chose one because he was going to be a good guy and love him, and the other one wasn't. That's not what went on at all. In fact, you know he chose Jacob, and Jacob was a scoundrel. His name means supplanter. He was a deceiver. Having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the will of man, according to man's pedigree, according to man's flesh, according to man's will or desire. Nope. The purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Of him that calleth. Who's calling? Who's doing the calling? It's God himself. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Who was the older guy? It was Esau, right? Remember, they're fighting to get out of the womb. <laughs> and Esau comes out and they tie this red cord around him, right? So they know which one came out first. And then Jacob. But Jacob's got a hold of his foot. Heel catcher, supplanter. That's just what his name means. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? I mean, that sounds like it, doesn't it? To, to the American mind, it sounds like, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. God should have given them a chance. No, no, no. Both of them are sinners because they were in Adam when he committed sin. They're sinners by nature. That is passed on from the fathers. So God didn't have to save either one of them. Didn't have to save Abraham. Didn't have to save Rebecca, Jacob, Isaac. None of the. He didn't have to save any of them. Most of us wouldn't understand we deserve God's wrath. Because if, if our eyes have been opened to who we are, we see our own wickedness. And this is why we, we see our need for a Savior. And so he says, is there unrighteousness with God because he does these things? God forbid. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Nobody's going to come and demand mercy of God. He is the king. You don't demand things of the king. You plead with him for those things. You plead with him for mercy. And even then, he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And whom he will, he hardeneth. You will say unto me, why doth he yet find fault for who's resisted his will? I mean, if, if what you're saying is true, listen, he, he, Paul anticipates the response, which is the response of sinful man. Why is he finding fault? I mean, if everything's happening according to his will, and again, there's, there's two ways that you see the will of God. One is in the prescriptive, which is his commands, which he showed us. This is, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is my will that you do this. And then there's that hidden will that we don't know, but it's carried out in his decrees and in his providence in time and space of which he's fulfilling the desires that he has in order to glorify himself, whether that's injustice and the destruction of the wicked, or whether that is in mercy meted out to the humble. 
He's doing all of that. And he's going to get glory for all of it. And you know what? You may sit here today and you may wag your tongue at God and say, that's not fair, but there's coming a day where your mouth's going to be stopped because you're going to see him in all his glory and you're either going to experience the goodness of his grace in Jesus Christ or you're going to experience his wrath in its fullness for your sin. What's it going to be? Back to Romans chapter 9. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Why are you coming up with arguments against the sovereign God? Why do you want to bucket what he says? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God? I mean, look at, look at his argument here. He's saying God is like a potter. And humanity is, is this big lump of clay. And God pulls out of that clay, and he makes a thing over here. Let's say he's going to make a bowl that he's going to use to eat out of. And I'm using it metaphorically. Obviously, God's a spirit, so he's not doing anything. He makes a bowl, and then he makes another one, and he makes a cup. And he uses these to eat and drink out of. And then he makes what my mom used to call a slop jar. Any of you guys know what that is? He makes a slop jar. Slop jar, for those of you who don't know, down south, and it's, I, it, it makes me ugh, like this uh, every time when my mom would tell me from when I was a little kid, a slop jar is the toilet. Okay? Two of those items, the cup and the, the bowl, are made for honorable use, right? We're going we're gonna to eat food. Uh, people come out. Maybe we make a set of them or whatever, and we're going to set them out, and it's going to be decorative. Uh, it's going to serve a good purpose, and that is that we get our food and our drink from it. And then the slop jar is not so honorable, is it? It's the thing nobody wants to touch. It's the thing that carries out the waste. It's the thing that stinks. And needs constant cleaning. Kind of get that in your mind. Because this is what he's saying that he does with men. I mean, this is Paul's argument of how he, how he does these things. What if God, verse 22, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Some people go, why would God let these wicked men be around? Well, he's being long-suffering towards them in order that he might manifest his power. What kind of power? His judicial power, his wrath upon them for their wickedness. Well, it's not fair. He should be saving. He should be trying to save them. Look, he gives them the word. They're just incapable because, like I said, they dug, the they dug their grave, they laid down, and they shot themselves in the head. They can't respond to the Lord. They can't even understand enough to submit themselves to it. Uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 1, teaches us. They can't even perceive what the truth is here to submit to it. They can probably regurgitate something to you, but they can't submit themselves to it. And so he says, and that they might... Uh, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, 
which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he had called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So it's really interesting that, he, that what he shows here is whether you're a, ver, a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath, that you're being formed by the potter. And both end up for his glory, but the one experiences the abundance of his mercy and of his love in Christ Jesus, and the other experiences the fullness of his wrath. Oh, I, just, I just can't, I can't believe that. That's what Paul's arguing. He's not arguing that the sinner can change his stripes. He's arguing that the sinner is dependent upon the living God as we call him, the great physician, to come and attend to his incurable wound and wake him from the dead and give him life. That's what he's saying. He's not saying anything about man except man is used by God. So this is why when people tell me, oh, well, you know, and, and we get into political, well, Donald Trump is using, God is using Donald Trump. Yeah, and he's using Joe Biden, and he used Barack Hussein Obama, Satoru Sabarka, and he's used George W. Bush, and he's used George Washington, and you can name, he, he used the uh, Stalin, he used Hitler. But what did he use them for? Did he use them to bring mercy? Did he use them to bring repentance? Did he use them to bring back the law of God? Did he use them to, to, to bring Christ to the center that he may be glorified in the people? Nope. Sadly, he's used, he's used these men to compound the judgment upon us. He's using them to bring judgment upon us. And the answer is never going to be political. All you guys who will show up today in New York City, there was a ton of people out there yesterday in protest about the arrest. I think it's all the WWE match. That's just me. It's a, it's a bunch of do about nothing. But if you think that's going to fix the problem, it's not. It's not. There's going to have to be real repentance. And we've got to start it as the people of God. Those of you who hear me and you call yourself by the name of God, the third commandment, don't take his name in vain. It's not about saying GD or something like that. It's about you bear his name, but you don't live up to that standard. And you guys have all heard that story from uh, about Alexander the Great or the story that's told about him where there's a young man. He didn't keep his post right and this, that, and the other. And Alexander met him and he says, why didn't you do this? Well, you know, he says, what's your name? And he said, Alexander. And he says, you either change your conduct or change your name. But that's what that means to take God's name in vain. Don't take it and then live like you're not his. Okay, so there's Romans 3. Then we have the words of the Lord Jesus. And you say, where are you going with this? I'm telling you what, it, what is needed to heal the incurable wound that America has. And it is not a political answer. It is a spiritual answer. Now, it may manifest itself out once there's repentance. I don't doubt that in the political and in other areas. But it is first a, a condition of the heart. This is why from the king down in Nineveh, they individually put on sackcloth and ashes. It was a matter of the heart. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 28. And he left all, rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. There was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. 
But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, this is talking about Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? They got a party here with publicans that the Jews hated because they were their own people, but they were sort of sellouts in the fact that they worked for the Roman government, and they were not only taxing the people, but they were adding a little bit you know, in the kitty for themselves, if you will. That's why you see Zacchaeus, when he repents, uh, when Jesus goes to his house and he repents and he says, whoever I've taken from, I'll give them back fourfold. That's fulfilling of the law. That's repentance. That's the fruit of repentance. Okay? So Jesus and his disciples are in there eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. You can imagine what they have because these guys have money. So they're probably like your your modern day guys who who are living it up. They probably got women around. They probably got all kinds of of gold and silver, and they're you know they live extravagant and all this other. And Jesus answering said unto them, "They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous." but sinners to repentance. It's sort of a slap in the face to them because what did we just read in Romans chapter 3? There is none righteous, no, not one. And that includes you, listener, and that includes me. There's none of us righteous. So when he's saying that, he's saying, you think you're righteous, but you're not. He's already told them they're full, their sepulchers full of dead, their whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He said, I came to call those who are sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? At every turn, they're looking at Jesus and they're coming up with some kind of argument with him to try to paint him as he's some kind of hypocrite or some kind of sinner himself. And he's like, Guys, ain't the way it works. I know you think it is. You're supposed to be teachers of the law. I dealt with you guys when I was 12 years old, asked you all the questions. You were fascinated with me at 12, but now you want to kill me. Now you want to entrap me. Now you want to try to trip me up. Ain't happening. And we go to Matthew uh, chapter 9. We read the same thing. We go to Mark chapter 2. We read the same thing. But then we come to Revelation. And this one is another one. All of the letters that John writes that are the words of Jesus to the churches there in Asia Minor, in chapters 2 and 3, all of them, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of variations. You get um, the church at Smyrna and uh, I want to say Philadelphia, but uh, you, you've got a little bit variation in how things go. But basically, the letter comes, uh, Jesus points out what he sees that they're doing good and that's right in the church. And then he says, yeah, but I got this you need to repent of. And he'll lay that out each time. Well, in Laodicea, and some people have theorized that Laodicea is, is not just a, you know, a church that was around back then in the first century, but this is a picture of the church at the end of the you know, end of time, all this kind of stuff. I, I, don't, I don't care how people picture it. I'm just going to look at what the church was here. And so if we go there, we go to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. Here's what we see. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Who is that? 
That's Jesus. And I can just hear the Jehovah's Witnesses and others who think Jesus is created beings say, see, it's the beginning of the creation of God. That's not, it's not what you think it means there. It really isn't. He's not the first created being. He's the one who created all things. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Now, he doesn't have anything good to say about the Laodiceans. You want to talk about a church that has taken his name in vain? This is it. This is the one right here. Because he starts with the other churches, and you can see it if you go back. I know that works, that thou, you know, they're, you're, you're checking out uh, who, who says they're a Jew and they're not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. You, you check those who have right doctrine or not doctrine. You check those who say they're apostles, but they're not. All these kinds of things. The whole idea is here. He says to them, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, you haven't really picked a side here. You got kind of one foot in the church, one foot in the, in the world. I will spew thee out of my mouth. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And why? Why is that? Now listen and tell me, this isn't the modern day church. And it's not anything new. This was going on in the first century. And by the way, this kind of thing is what was going on when we were reading Jeremiah. They think, well, God's blessed us. He's just going to keep blessing us. There's no way he's going to curse us. There's no way he's going to send, you know, armies in here to destroy us. This could never happen. That's the mentality of the wicked. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Got need of nothing. And, you know, as a young Christian, I was in a Baptist church, my father's church at the time. And I remember, I didn't know a lot of anything. I still have much to learn. I'm still very ignorant of a lot of things. And there's lots that I have to learn. But I remember learning about this and the surrounding of Laodicea. It was a very wealthy place. And some of the things that he mentions here were things that they produced and such. And so we had a business meeting one night and they came in to, they wanted to incorporate the church and their, you know, the, 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 the spiel that comes out is, well, this will protect us from, you know, if, if somebody slips on the, the, the walk or anything like this, they can't sue every member of the church and blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's just, it, it's acting in fear. And I remember I, I probably was a Christian like six months or a year or something like that. And I said, well, can I ask a question? And they said, yeah. And, I said, well, it kind of sounds like we're saying we don't have any need of protection from the one who gave his life for the church, who built the church. It's saying, to me, I hear us saying, we're rich and have need of nothing. We're smarter than this. We can figure it out ourselves. And I didn't realize what happened with companies like Enron. They were incorporated too. That didn't protect the people too much, did it? No, it's, it's, a, it's a shell game. It's three-card Monty. That's what it is. And of course, I was put down because, you know, I was inexperienced and I didn't know much. And, and I didn't. I confess that. And so I just kind of shelved it. And the more I started looking into it, the more I thought, yep, that's exactly what it is. In fact, there's a great book you can get online. Met the guy one time. Um, I, I don't know that I was impressed with him, but... Um, there's a great book called In Caesar's Grip. 
And if you want to understand the ideas of, of 501c3s in the church, if you want to understand the incorporation and how it basically sets you sets the church up to say, we're a creature of the state, not a creature of Christ. I mean, that's that's what it ends up doing. This is what the church at Laodicea has done. We're rich. We're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. But Jesus said, you know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, is he talking about their physical appearance and state? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's seeing their perception of their, their goods and their blessings, if you will, are deceiving them from their real state before him. And he says this, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. See, see, they were, they were rich and they, had, they were increased in goods. But he says, you come and buy of me gold. Trying to, you know, he's not talking about bringing money. You can't buy God offering any of this stuff. And he's not talking about real gold here. That's not what he's talking about. That thou mayest be rich. They need to be purified, even as gold is purified in the fire, don't they? They need to be purged of their impurities and their sins. And then he says, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Well, what is that? It is the righteous. Are we to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Yep. How is that symbolized? Well, you remember the story of the uh, prodigal son. What does he come? He comes home. He's, he's, gonna, he's just humiliated. He's ready to tell his dad, I'm sorry, can you just make me a servant in your house? I'm not even worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get the words out of his mouth. His dad runs, whew, he runs from the, whew. he runs from the, from the house and he embraces his son. And the son starts spilling out and dad's like, shut up. Bring a ring, put it on his finger, get this boy some shoes, get him some new clothes, put a white robe on him, and let's have a feast because my son, who was lost, has been found. Oh, but Tim, don't you see? The son came to himself, and, and he's the one who did all... No, 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 friend. Oh, it was God who brought him to his senses. That's the testimony of Scripture. We're like a bunch of insane people running across this earth, and it is God who brings us back to our minds, to our right state. He brings us to ourselves so that we might return unto Him. That's what's going on there. And look at what He says. He says, you need this white raiment that thou mayest be as clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Isn't that exactly what the issue was in the garden? They ran out to try to cover themselves up with leaves. God said, who told you you're naked? It's part of that not being themselves. They go and hide from the Lord. They don't go out to meet him. God has to come and find them. Are you seeing a pattern here? God has to go and find you. God has to go and find me. 
This idea that we're searching for God is nonsense. The scripture is very clear in Romans chapter 3. There's none that seek after God. None. And if there are people who seek after God, guess why they're doing that? Because of the work of God in their hearts. Let's finish this up. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Again, he called them um, blind. And in Laodicea, they had this special kind of eye salve that they made. That was a big product that they produced uh, in that area. And so they would have understood exactly what's going on here. He says, anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Hmm. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God, let alone be in it. If you're not born again, they need ISAF. Let me tell you something. America needs to have its eyes opened. They need to have their eyes open. Now listen, pay careful attention to this, because I know this is a lot of language that gets used today in the quote-unquote patriot movement and all this stuff. We're awake we we have our eyes opened to what the wickedness of 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 man <laughs> doesn't take much to see that does it i mean it really doesn't take much to see that how is that being awake that's nothing new how about have your eyes been open to the one who has put all things under his feet how how does that open your eyes to help you see the truth of the gospel? How can you call yourself awake while you reject the work of Christ and you give lip service to it, but practically in your everyday life, in your politics, in your business, or whatever you're doing, he is just not there. You are like Laodicea. I am rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Has your eyes been open to that? Because if they haven't, you still remain in your delusion. Just like the transdelusionals, it's just a different kind of delusion. You think you're clean from your sin, but you're still filthy in them. Has your eyes been open to that? And why is this so important? Look at what he says. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He wasn't coming at them, beating them over the head. He was merely pointing out, this is your real estate, but this is what you think you are. I'm going to tell you the truth about it. And he says, I love you, and therefore I rebuke you, and I chasten you. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And then he says this, which is completely taken out of context today by those who want to um, uh, peddle to the will of man. Be able to stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. Now, is he talking to, individual, to an individual here? No, he's got a letter to the church. And what's the church done? Well, they basically shut him out. What are they saying? We're rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. We don't even have need of the Lord Jesus. And he's saying, guys, I'm out here. I'm outside the door knocking. Anybody want to let the truth, the life, the way inside? 
open up the door. The truth's right here. It's not talking, you know, this picture, he's knocking on your heart. That's not what's going on. He's talking to the church, the covenant community. And he says he'll come in and he'll have fellowship with them. And then he says this, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Hmm. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. What a wonderful promise that Jesus would take rebel, lawless punks, let me just put it that way, that he would clean us, that he would make us a part of his family, that he would reconcile us back to the Father, and then, not that we would just be servants, but that we will sit with him in his throne. What a promise. Boy, if that isn't the mercy of God on display and his graciousness towards his people, I don't know what is. Because there ain't a soul that's lived on this earth that's worthy of any of that. And then he finishes with this, and this is where we're going to close. Verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Friends, do you have ears to hear what was said this morning? I hope through all of my, I hope I wasn't confusing, but I know in the midst of it, the Word of God is there, and it's more powerful than my fickle tongue here. But if you hear what is being said to you today, the Bible tells us not to harden our hearts. We have examples of where people heard the Word of God in the Old Testament, and they hardened their hearts to it. Pharaoh is a good example of that. The people of Israel became a good example of that. Do you hear what the Spirit of God is saying? America, do you hear it? It has nothing to do with presidential elections, congressional elections. Does it have anything to do with a lot of stuff that gets put in front of us? Until God changes us, until God turns us, as Jeremiah said, we will not be turned. We're going to keep going down the same path of destruction until that happens. Let me ask you something. Are you ready to put on the sackcloth and ashes today? Are you ready to repent before God? And humble yourself before him. Because if you are, then the Bible tells us that he will lift you up. But apart from doing that, you can expect more destruction and more destruction and more destruction and more judgment. And guess who's bringing it? It's not Joe Biden. He's just the instrument of it. It's not a Kamala Harris, just an instrument of it. It's not even the trans delusions. They're an instrument of it. God has warned he'll bring these things on us. Let's not make him our enemy any longer. Let's submit to him as sons and daughters, as friends. As Jesus said, I lay down my life for my friends. Let's do that today. There is the message. The message is not political. It may, the application later on down the road may be political. Don't get me wrong. But it first begins with me. And it first begins with you. What are we going to do? Humble ourselves and seek the Lord's forgiveness 
and seek his favor and his blessings by blessing him? Or are we going to continue on thinking that we're rich and have need of nothing and not listen to the words of the Lord Jesus? I pray the Lord will grant repentance where he will, that he might show mercy to whom he'll show mercy who listen to this. And I also pray he'll harden those whom he hardens. That's a harder one to say, because my desire is that everybody who hears me might know his mercy. I mean, that's my desire. In either case, he's going to be glorified in all of this. Rest assured, doesn't matter our choice, he's going to be glorified in it. You watch and see. He will do that. Bradley, be with you at 3 uh, Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m. bright and early. Talk to you then. See you.